Hey everyone, welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan and I'm joined here by Jonathan Morrissey and Owen Reardon. And today is a teensy little milestone. We're in the 1-0 club now. Double digits. We did it. To celebrate that, we are going back to the franchise that we began our podcast with. The one that, uh, that made this whole crazy thing happen. But uh, before we get to that, Jonathan, Owen, anything to report? It's been fairly quiet. Yeah, 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 it's been fairly quiet. We're still in lockdown, Liam. <laughs> Anything? No, very excited. Very excited that we've made to number ten. Yeah, and we'd like to thank everyone who's still listening. And here's here's the ten more, or maybe seven, and then we'll finish. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anything to report video game wise, guys? Are you playing anything? I suppose, yeah, I've got one that's a little bit interesting. Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned, lockdown, COVID, you know, kind of exhausting the amount of TV shows and video games you can play. Um, I downloaded and installed, for me and Steph, Minecraft. Really? Uh, I did. Yeah, I'd, I'd never played it. I genuinely never, I don't think, ever booted it up in any way or shape or form. Um, for us to kind of do a little kind of co-op uh, kind of world, just something to do. Um, and after about three days, it's it's pretty boring. Yeah, it's not really. I just don't get it. I just maybe I just it's the type of game I don't really get. Um, it's fun, like, but I just don't really. Nothing's like bringing us back to it. Um, so yeah, that's what we've been kind of playing. Um, and other than that, I've been playing the the game we're going to be talking about today, which is amazing. I'm sorry, Marcy, but we'll never make it as a video game podcast unless we sing the praises of Minecraft, <laughs> the most beloved game of all time, literally like the best selling game of all time, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's still in like when we when I went to buy it from uh, the Switch store, uh, it was number two in the best selling games, uh, like the top ten or whatever. Um, and it's it's in like yeah, I, I, which I get, I, I understand why it's such a crazy universal appeal. Um, but you know, we just we weren't like I wasn't blown away by it. I don't know. Have you have you guys played it? I've never played it. Would you believe? Not even for a second. Yeah, I think I've played I like ten minutes of it, and I just it didn't click with me. You know what I mean? Like there's a certain um unbound kind of creativeness to it but i just didn't like i didn't find the creative juices flowing when i was playing it you know i yeah, I'd, I'd seen all of these videos on youtube of all of these amazing recreations of of towns and buildings and people having fun creating logos with blocks but when i got in there i was uh, it was just went completely over my head yeah that yeah i think you have to be in a very particular mood or really looking for that type of game to kind of play it and enjoy it. Um, Steph absolutely hated it. She was just like, why is everything so blocky? I was like, you must, <laughs> you must have known that. Before, before. <laughs> no. I was like, okay, well, you're, you're just never going to enjoy this. But yeah, that's what I've been playing so far anyway. How about you, Owen? Yeah, and I finished Resident Evil 2. It took a couple of Citrus. Brilliant game. Brilliant, brilliant game. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I you know, Liam, we had, I think, had spoken over text that I think the first half of that game is much better than the second half. Uh, for sure, for sure. You know, the everything in the RPD station is just absolutely brilliant. Pure tension. Um, I played with Leon, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't say I'm someone to you know dive straight straight back into a game on DLC or anything like that. But I am super interested in potentially playing it with the the Claire campaign just to see how those intersect. What I will say, um, it's a shame, but 
you know, the 1997, whatever version, original Resident Evil 2, did the whole A campaign, B campaign thing actually better than um, the new one did. Sorry, yeah. to, sorry to burst your bubble slightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In uh, in the original one, if you whoever you choose, if you choose to be, play Leon's game first, Claire's one is supposed to be happening side by side with it, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually work that way in the in the new one. It, it's not like made to be kind of two sides of the same story, which is a bit of a shame. You still get um, you still get um, whole new content though, and a whole new area that Leon never visits. So it's definitely worth playing. I'm just saying from a story perspective, it's not quite as clever. Okay, I like. I think my total play time of that game was maybe six hours, maybe seven hours. Super short, super tight. Mm-hmm. So that's probably one of the reasons why I'm not too adverse to to getting back into it as 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 soon as I would. Another game that I purchased, and I was telling you guys about it, I haven't had the chance to play it yet, but hopefully on episode episode 11, I can report back on it as a game called Before Your Eyes. I got it on got it on Steam, and I'm super intrigued by the concept. I had to sit my girlfriend down and be like, look at this thing. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. And that's, uh, that's the game that uses um, a webcam as a, a form of tracking your... Uh, eye and blinking movement so before your eyes is seeing your life unfold before your eyes so whenever you blink uh in the game it'll transport you through time so there's um you know you're reliving the life of someone and when you blink you jump forward in the narrative um i've heard amazing amazing things about it. it's only like an hour and a half long but i'm sure i'll get through that next weekend i love the sound of it it sounds really interesting yeah, so cool yeah yeah um on, on the last episode i was playing um uh, Odd World New and Tasty, the remake mm. of um, Abe's Odyssey, and it was in preparation for playing Soulstorm, which came out two weeks ago, which is the remake of Abe's Exodus. And I hated it. It, <laughs> it broke my little heart. I was so let down by it. It, it, it. For me, it's such a misfire. And it made me bitterly want to play the original PlayStation 1. Um, and I, I wasn't going to. It made like while I was playing it, I was just so wistful for the old one, which is not a good thing. But what did I? I said about halfway through the game, I turned off my console, and I knew I wasn't going to turn it on again and play that game. I just knew I was, I was done with it. I wasn't enjoying it. Um, it's not, it's frustrating in a, like properly frustrating, not in a not in a fun way. I was just annoyed all the time I was playing it. So I went online. I started reading reviews, and I started like reading interviews with the developers and stuff like that. And all the reviews, like they're not that positive, and they were all. Um, a lot of negative ones are saying, you know, it's just an old-fashioned game, and this, these games just, you know, they've they just been, you know, kind of, you know, the sands of time have made them irrelevant. And I was just, I just put my back up. I was just like, um, I'm pretty sure the 1998 original Apes Exodus is much better, and because I'm a spiteful bastard and I wanted to play it, I went back and played it just, to, just, just so I could talk about it briefly on this humble platform. All I want to say with this section is that Abe's Exodus is brilliant. It's still brilliant. Don't listen to the reviews. It's so, it's so good. It's so good. I played it. It's about ten hours long, and um, what I love about it is that uh, you know some of the spine of some games can be their story or whatever. But this is a game that has just uh, all these mechanics introduced, and the mechanics are developed and expanded on so well. So that the, the real spine of that game is just you know the challenges mounting up and you taking the things you learned earlier and like doing harder versions of them later. And it was just a supremely satisfying game. It's not everyone's cup of tea. This isn't a game about expression. There's one way to do everything. But what I love, what I love about it is that, you know, how the creatures act, you know, all the mechanics, how they work. It's a hair pulling the aggravating game, but there's a clarity to the game design. It's fair. If I die, I know exactly why I died. And it might take me 20 times to do this bit, but at least I know why I'm dying and I know exactly what I'm trying to do. The new one, it's just messy. It's glitchy as fuck as well. 
and they added a new crafting thing where you kind of, you know, if you, you can craft items to start doing things your own way. And it's just like really bad. The, the, the old one, the new one, sorry, is like old game philosophy and new game philosophy sitting side by side in a not a clever way. They just cancel each other out. And I'm a huge fan of Oddworld. I've always said that Oddworld should be bigger than it is. Like not even as a game, like it could be, it could be a movie franchise. It's such a good world. I will say what I, I won't insult the new game is um, graphically it's amazing and the animation is Pixar quality. Abe himself, big expression at eyes, he's so good. And they took out all the almost all the humor from this one. It's really self-serious and epic, which I, I, I respect the hell out of that. Um, it's just that, um, yeah, I, I think they completely whiffed it. And I've always, <laughs> I've always been gunning for this franchise and now I'm actually so bitter that I'm just like, let it die. You fucked, wow. you, you, you fucked it, lads. This is your chance. You wasted and, like <laughs> and I like I don't know who it's for. If you if you're a fan of the old Oddworld games, I don't think you'll enjoy it. And if you're not a fan, this is not the one to get you into the franchise. So don't, all they want to say is that there are dozens of us. Abe's Exodus is a hidden gem of the PlayStation One. Um, if people haven't played it, emulated, it, it's super fun. Actually, I played it on Steam. It's two quid. So if you're looking for a fun platformer, um, get out there, guys. That actually great, but yeah, great, greatly upset me, Liam. Listening to listening to your disappointment yeah, so, sounds so disappointed. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 not that it's a childhood game. You know, I've had disappointed games before, but you know when a franchise disappears for years and then comes back, mm. it's even even the last remake was twenty fourteen. Like this is a long time ago, and I was just so like, ah, and it's not like unplayable. It's just kind of, I just mm. found it a bit fucking badly designed, to be honest. And they should they should have known better because they're they're a fucking ancient um, company at this point, but. Maybe people disagree, but if they disagree, they are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, wrap, we'll wrap up the episode. We'll wrap up. Thank you, bro. I Liam, actually don't want to... Uh, I just wanted to say, you know, I always really, really appreciate listening to you. And if there's anyone who isn't actually following our social channels right now, I wanted to give Liam a shout out for a couple of articles that he's been writing. They're short little uh, tidbits. He has almost two series that he started one good gaming yarns and two the uh what is it the genesis gems genesis gems yes yeah so i just wanted to give liam a bit of a shout out uh whoever's not following our social channels just give him a google hey look listen to podcast um and check those out uh they're really really good and i think you're going to be releasing them weekly now yeah, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be releasing one one series of recommendations for games that are hugely story-driven for anyone. Maybe anyone who's having a stressful time, you want a game that you just sit back and relax. And the other one is going to be that's me being just painfully nostalgic about uh, the Sega Mega Drive or the Sega Genesis, whatever you want to call them. Just, so yeah, over the next couple of weeks, I'll be posting them. So follow us on Instagram or Twitter or anywhere you want. Just follow us down the street. Um, <laughs> no! Don't. Social distancing. This is way too much like Abe's Exodus right now. He's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, can we expect? Can we expect one of uh, Soulstorm then? No, no. Only, only positivity. Only positivity. Yeah, I'm not going to be one of those guys. Like, actually, I just sorry. I just ranted about it for five minutes. So I am one of those guys. <laughs> oh, um, but no more negativity. I want to talk about Metal Gear Solid Two: Sons of Liberty. That's why we're here. Um, I just have a little bit of data before we jump in, guys. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, is a 2001 stealth game developed and published by Konami for the PlayStation 2 in 2001. It is the fourth Metal Gear game written and directed by Hideo Kojima and technically the seventh in the whole franchise. There's, it, there's a weird thing with that. There's a different version of Metal Gear. In the, in the, in the story, though, it's the fourth game, right? Uh, 
it's a direct sequel of the PlayStation 1 game, Metal Gear Solid. Um, an expanded edition titled Metal Gear Solid 2 Substance was released the following year for Xbox and Microsoft Windows in addition to the PlayStation 2. And Metal Gear Solid 2 was um, re-released in the HD collection of Metal Gear Solid um, for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in 2011. I think it was with Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater and the PSP one, right? Peace Walker, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, this game is literally 20 years old now. Um, I just want to start off just on a personal level, uh, Marcy. I think, I literally think this was the game that we connected over when we first met. I think one of the things that we became friends over was kind of both playing this game, right? Am I remembering right? I think, yeah, I think you are right. Because I vividly remember getting this game. And then, did I talk to you about it at Delphi? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so, yeah, yeah. We were on yeah. Which is like for anyone who hasn't gone to the same school as us at the same time. <laughs> uh, wouldn't know that. Um, but uh, it just feels uh, uh, kind of like a place where you like an excursion place. You, know, you go can- canoeing and you know, white, you know, white water rafting, which me and Liam love. Um, so we, we had <laughs> very a great like Shadow time. Moses. Very like Shadow Moses. Very, very like Shadow <laughs> Moses. I guess that was the comparisons we made, actually, um, at the start of the conversation. But um, I, I think I told a story in episode one where i talked about my dad bringing home the cd copy or the soundtrack of metal gear one um and like you know getting it wrong and then getting it right later i also got metal gear side two originally from my dad um and he didn't mess it up at all this time he i was literally in my room um i think i was playing like international superstar stalker because that's the full title uh like 2000 or something something really old um and he knocks on the door and goes and he goes hey uh, one of the guys at work finished this game today and said you might want it and just literally chucked it on the floor in front of me and it was Metal Gear Solid 2 and he shit myself I was like oh yeah. my god I was like dad it's unbelievable he's like yeah right well you know just do your homework and then he left but it was unbelievable <laughs> unbelievable but yeah I remember us connecting over that Liam yeah well that's the thing that needs to be said uh, before we get into this just utter strangeness that is Metal Gear Solid 2 to transport back to 2001 like the reason why Marcy, why you must have been so excited to see it, because it was so anticipated. Yeah. Metal Gear Solid 1 was such a moment, like, and we were young, so it was one of our first, I'd say one of our first big video game zeitgeist moments, the first Metal Gear. So Metal Gear Solid 2 was one of my most anticipated games of all time. And to add to that, you know, you know just because it's a sequel in the story, but also because it was being touted as this, like, graphically the most amazing game ever made. Owen, do you like? Do you remember um, oh, yeah. the lead up to launch, or do you remember like playing it when you were a kid? I remember many facets of of the lead up, but you know my my experience kind of similar to Morrissey's actually. When when I think about it, it my was, dad got for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Why is your dad telling me to do my homework? None of his business. <laughs> it was so it was release day, and you know generally video game release day in Ireland at the time was Fridays. I remember that, and. My father came into my bedroom Friday morning before school and said, I know how much you were anticipating this game. And he had a copy of Metal Gear Solid 2. And this was like the morning of release day. So automatically I was like, what the hell? How like how did you get your hands on this? There's no way you went. Nowhere was open. So you couldn't have gone anywhere to get it. So he said he was in town on Thursday. And he stopped by game on Cruiser Street in Limerick City, which, mm-hmm. you know, RIP. RIP. And uh, <laughs> clearly, you know, he went in at like five o'clock when it was closing. And uh, the guy just sold him the game because he's like, well, it's releasing tomorrow morning at nine o'clock anyway. Um, so Irish. I know. Those were the days, actually. And uh, yeah, my, my dad got a copy of it early. And now I'm wondering why he didn't give it to me on a Thursday when I could have played it. But... 
Um, I re- yeah, I remember booting it up before school. I was, and I watched the intro title se- sequence, which I thought was one of the greatest things, and still is mm. the coolest yeah. fucking thing. Yeah, it's awesome. unbelievable. <laughs> and I, re- you know, I I didn't have time to boot it up and actually play it. Um, but I remember just watching that intro sequence play on replay for about four times. And then prior to that, Liam, and I'm sure we'll probably, we might as well just get it out of the way now, was um, Zone of Enders, Mm. another Konami-produced game. And one of the tactics that they use, because this is a strange Japanese mech game, game, and one of the tactics they used to sell more copies was they released a demo of Metal Gear Solid 2 with that game. And I, I, it was strange because I remember renting Zone of Enders thinking that I would get the demo. Ended up completing Zone of Enders. I didn't get the demo and it was actually a really good game. Um, but I, I borrowed that demo and man, I played that thing. Oh my God, I couldn't even tell you. You know, if it was a, if it was a VHS, I wore that thing true, you know? I thought I borrowed the demo from you, Owen. That's really weird. I wonder who I... Because I, I... That's so weird. I vividly remember you giving me the demo. Well, did you do your homework? Maybe your dad gave, gave you the demo. <laughs> Why is my dad dressing up as Owen again? <laughs> I, um... I actually didn't get it until it was out for, like, a month, which was agonizing. I wasn't allowed to get it because, um... You didn't brother, do your homework? <laughs> is that why? Yeah. <laughs> Almost <laughs> certainly, but no, no. <laughs> No, well, my brother had, uh, he was older than me, so he had like, you know, he's on money and he was buying it, but I think he was doing exams or something. So I had to wait for him to buy it. But um, let's cut straight to the chase um, with this game. Uh, is it safe to say, lads, that um, it was divisive within the Metal Gear Solid fan base? And what would you say is the main reason it was divisive? Well, I think I could probably just say one word story and then just leave it there. Uh, yeah, like I, I get why it's divisive. I was too young to know why it was then. I think, um, I think I presume the first time I played, it, I didn't have any idea what the story meant. Um, <laughs> and even now, man, in my thirties, I'm still a little bit unsure. Yeah, no, the three of us are going to pretend. Yeah, none of us do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm really not sure. Like um, how when you were a kid and you're watching The Matrix Reloaded and the architect is um, doing his big speech and you're like, you're like, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Yeah, such a fan of the you're, first. You're damn right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, divisive, yeah, I, I get that. I would say that my thoughts on Metal Gear Solid 2, I, I really think it's one of the best games ever made, um, I'll, and I'll defend it all day. And it actually is, I think, I think it's the second best Metal Gear game as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I, but what, Owen, you need, have you any thoughts on why it was div- divisive, or did you find divisive when you first played it? I didn't. You know, it was one of, you know, I think the big thing is the character switch, right? You know, the, that's what I was alluding to. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the big character switch. <laughs> Sorry, <first>. yeah. <laughs> you know, so the, your main protagonist, Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid One, one of the most badass protagonists in video game history, or probably pop culture, to be quite honest. Oh with come you. on, he he he's up there. He's, he smokes cigarettes like so. Pretty cool. <laughs> Um, they Konami. We don't, we don't endorse that. <laughs> Konami, the <laughs> publisher, and Kojima, the developer, they did a bit of a bait and switch, right? So, you know, you would have uh, all of the promo material building up to it. And even that demo they released, which was, you know, what be considered maybe some of the first stage or the first level featured Solid Snake. And then when you actually get into the game, you know, after what, Liam, Morrissey, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, when you're done the tanker level, you're then into, you know, the main crux of the game, which features 
a blonde haired annoying son of a bitch protagonist who <laughs> a lot of people didn't like I did though. I, like that's maybe why I didn't get what you were you were kind of alluding to, to Liam. Um, but yeah, like I think I don't know it it did backfire a bit, didn't it? They they did their best to kind of just hide it from everyone. Like all the all the pro material, even like that that original kind of nine or ten minute demo that came out a couple of years beforehand, um, only featured Snake. Um, but I think it, I, if I remember the 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 research I did in this, Raiden came about because they were trying to attract more female gamers to the franchise. Is that right? I didn't know that. Like, did not no, I didn't know that. I like not knowing how massively or not how successful it was in Japan. I the character, the design, and everything definitely plays into a very Japanese kind of manga stereotype of what you would expect. Yeah, he, he's very he's very effeminate and kind of almost androgynous looking. Mm. Yeah, I remember. Apparently, it's well. This is what I've heard, read anyway. Was that it was while making Metal Gear Solid One, uh, Kojima passed by two uh, female programmers who were working on certain scenes of Shadow Moses, um, and they both remarked how they didn't find Snake in any way appealing uh, as a character. Uh, apparently that really stuck with him. Uh, and then years later, he was like, all right then. Uh, and I, I actually watched a, a Metal Gear documentary recently where, they, where the, the designer who designed Raiden's look and his body as well, the whole thing, he said, Kojima came to me on a Friday and said, I want you to design the most beautiful man you can. <laughs> <laughs> and he 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 will be the new sod snake, and the guy just goes okay, and and then that's that's it. And he, isn't he, he based? Made isn't his character model like based on like a young David Bowie? Really? really? I think I so. I, see that. I thought it would have been. I thought it would have been Meg Ryan, and you've got mail. Why does he always reference Meg Ryan? I don't know. It's every episode. But look, like if, if yeah, but Liam, 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 before we moved on, I want to know I'm where you at... stand with this. Like, as in I. Yeah, I always liked Raiden. I I was never angry. Like so many people were angry. I want to play a Solid Snake, but I think one of the reasons I think people were justified to be angry is that the game uh, in the lead up to the launch was very. The, the, all the trailers that they showed off were tactically only showed bits of um, the Snake gameplay parts, but they did show parts of the Raiden part. But they changed it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, oh, in the, in the real game, in the real game, you played as Raiden, but in the trailer, they showed Solid Snake, so they kind of lied to you. And it's actually a practice that is still happening now. Um, I know. Not going to talk. We're not going to yeah. talk about it, though. We're not going to talk about it. Um, it was done recently, um, but we're here only here to talk about Metal Gear. I always liked Raiden. Um, <laughs> I always thought it, I always thought it was it was really interesting. Um, and now that I'm older, like Marcy, you just said, like he was trying to attract, um, you know, maybe, maybe more female gamers, but he also had a much grander plan of what he wanted to do with the story from Metal Gear Solid 2 and forcing you to play as a new character. Um, well, I'll just say that the, what he wanted to do with the story of Metal Gear Solid 2, he couldn't have done if you played as um, Solid Snake. You needed to be this new character. And kind of like to give a bit of his backstory, he's a younger, um, he's kind of a younger spy, whatever you want to call him. Um, and he's done all his training on, on VR missions. So this is his first time out in the field. He's sent to um, an oil refinement um, station, whatever it is, to rescue the president. Uh, $30 billion. I know, 30. It's not even that much. Yeah. <laughs> and just but, so yeah, you know, yeah. Liam, to preface, it was something like combat level 60 or 80 or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the, the idea is that um, this is his first time out in the field. This is his first real mission, but he's done a ton of training in virtual environments, much like us who've only played video games. We've never been in the field, and that is very um, intentional of what 
Metal Gear Solid 2 ended up being. Um, so yeah, will we talk about that? Will we talk about? Will we? Will we just go? Let's just let's just try to get to dig into this plot, okay? Of oh, what wow. now that we're thirty two or whatever, like what we think of it, what it did, and what I will say to start it off is, I think what it ended up doing is crazy for the main reason that it, it, he did it in two thousand and one. This game was twenty years old. This is a really interesting deconstruction of video games, I would say. And society, where society was headed, right? I think, so, yes. you know, I repl- I replayed <laughs> two-thirds of the game, and as I told you guys, it fucking shut down and crashed my file <laughs> seven and a half no. hours through, so I lost oh. about, I had about two hours left in the game, but I, I watched YouTube videos to finish it. But, you know, I it was so far ahead of its time in terms of, you know, what the, I suppose, the, the antagonists were trying to achieve. And it was so it's so relevant to to now in terms of the flow of digital information and how that can oh, be man. It's uh, used, time, yeah. used it's against insane. everyone F- fake news right it, it it kind of almost touches on fake news before yeah. that was ever even a thing yeah well well later on in this podcast at the end i have a uh, liam sheehan's patented top 10 Metal Gear solid 2 quotes but if you don't mind as i've actually pulled a quote um that's not going to be in that top 10 list um, at the end of the game, you're talking to a villainous AI because that's the direction it goes in. And <laughs> and uh, stupid, but... they say, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to read this quote because the, the villain he's explaining, they're explaining their grand master plan. Um, they're an AI who represent a kind of uh, Illuminati type shadow organization called the Patriots who are running America in secret. And this game came out in t- 2001 when the internet was like a puddle in comparison to what it is now. Yet this bit of writing is in the game. It's like. Um, we propose what we propose to do is not to control content, but to create context. The digital society furthers human flaws and selectively rewards the development of convenient half truths. But not all the information was inherited by later generations. A small percentage of the whole was selected and processed and passed on, not unlike genes. But in the current digitized world, trivial information is accumulating every second, preserved preserved in all its triteness never fading, always accessible. Rumors about petty issues, misinterpretations, slanders, all this junk data preserved in an unfiltered state, growing at an alarming rate, it will only slow down social progress. Basically saying how when the internet becomes so vast, you can't really tell the truth anymore on what's, mm-hmm. what's pointless. If everything is pointless, you're bombarded with information and because because so much of it is uh, it's pointless, it's all pointless. Um, 2001, it's so far ahead of its time in terms of that. Yeah, I was Actually, blown away. I, I was blown away. I wasn't as a twelve or thirteen year old. Like <laughs> I, just, just, yeah. <laughs> I, I had no idea what was going on. I was still just yeah. But it, it, I do love. I do remember though playing it, replaying again then when I was in my later teens, and again still the internet wasn't huge, particularly for myself because I had dial up. Um, but I remember there's that moment in the game, and we might want to talk about this probably later as well, but. Mm-hmm. When you first actually realize someone's an AI, I think it's with the kernel. Um, I think it's it's toward the the end of the game, and you're just playing away. You're 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 riding. You happen to be naked at the time. Um, <laughs> does it go in that direction? It does go <laughs> in that direction. Yeah, um, <laughs> so stupid. Um, and you're just playing away. And so the codec, which is something that you know the game costs you an awful lot, it's like this transmitter in your ear. You can talk to you know nano machines. Nano machines turned out to be nano machines this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> change that but they did um uh, and anyway you're playing it away and suddenly the colonel who's been kind of with you for all of Raiden's adventure start kind of breaks the fourth wall and starts to talk to you and even i think flashes into kind of a, a like a, maybe more of like a skull look 
But we talk about the podcast a lot about why I find games kind of scary. That's why. That's, <laughs> that, and I mean that. That's the actual moment where I was playing a video game. And that happened. And I'm like 12 or 13 or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. Is this, is this part of the game? Like, like the I colonel, it is. The, the colonel tells Raiden to turn off the game, right? Yeah, he says turn off the PS2. Yeah, <laughs> you've been playing for too many hours. I did. I turned that fucker off really quick because I was like, "Why is this man talking to me?" <laughs> um, but yeah, I just that I, I think it's just such a it, yeah. It does it does a good job of telling you know of, of being very prophetic and kind of way ahead of its time. Um, but it's just also done such a silly, silly way. Yeah, and that's my thing, right? As in, mm, like, okay, yeah, Kojima. As a developer and as as a writer, I think there's no denying that he's a genius. But to get from A to Z, he goes to A point one, and then he goes to A point two, and then he goes to B, and then B minus one and B minus two. It takes forever to get to where he's trying to get to. And as much as I appreciated the genius behind Metal Gear Solid Two, the telling of that is really really muddled. You know what I mean? Like, as in it, it's 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 really hard to digest when. I think what they're trying to say doesn't need to be as complicated as it actually is. Well, I think Kojima is a developer with a lot of very deliberate habits um, that some people might not like, but some people might view as bad habits. But I also think he is a master developer. So there are some things in Metal Gear Solid 2 that are so bad that I actually don't think he wouldn't have done it. I don't think he did them. Um, I think he did do them on purpose. Like there's bits in that game where the gameplay <laughs> lasts like 10 seconds and then suddenly you're in another cutscene, you know? Yeah. I think I think it's all very intentional. And one of the main things um, Metal Gear Solid 2 ends up being about is a kind of a meta story about Raiden being basically you, the player, right? Mm. And uh, how Raiden has no agency just how you have no agency, um, you're you're stuck, you have to do whatever the game wants you to do. Um, actually, you know, like you said, Owen, he goes from A to A.1, then he's this big convoluted thing to say this, um, but about seven years later, the game Bioshock did this twist um, much, much more elegantly. Yeah. Um, we kind of had this thing, kind of a meta thing, where you've realized that, you know, your player character was kind of, had no agency, and you find out why. But... Um, so when he made Metal Gear Solid 1, right? Kojima has been working since the 80s. But when he made Metal Gear Solid 1 in 1998, that was his big break, right? He was king of the world, like. And for him to follow it up with Metal Gear Solid 2, I think is so ballsy. He could have made any game he wanted. He, would, he never had more eyes on him. And he made a, this meta deconstruction of not only his previous game, but of the idea of gaming. It was super ambitious. And I think the fact that it's kind of bloated and awkward and weird is like very much intentional like i said i think he wants like like raiden doesn't have any agency he's kind of stuck between all these all these different um entities and villains and he's like you know raiden he's on a mission but he's he's been manipulated the entire time i do think there's a kind of a (laughs) a thing kojima's trying to do where he's kind of doing the same to you he's trying to recreate specifically certain bits of Metal Gear Solid 1 so you feel mm-hmm. all warm and fuzzy warm all warm and fuzzy and you're like oh yeah this is Metal Gear Solid 1 but he's also kind of pulling the rug out from under you it's not exactly like Metal Gear Solid 1 I'm like I, do you kind of agree with me there do you know what I'm saying I, 
Yeah, I, I'm kind of on the fence with that because I think I'm rambling. Actually, <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not because I know what you're both trying to say. Yeah, I think there's look. He's incredible, an incredible video game developer. I don't think he's the best at telling a story. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think he's a master storyteller at all um, because there's bits of Metal Gear Solid Two that are just so outlandish and so silly that like I have to suspend my disbelief in an extreme way. Again, like I was joking to you guys before we, we hit record today. The, the arm man like liquid, liquid snake living on living on in the arm of revolver ocelot it's one of the most ludicrous no, no, things he's, I've ever living, seen. he's living on in his own arm and ocelot has had his arm grafted oh, arm, yeah he, he had the arm yeah because that, that's how that works you've got to get sorry. this right yeah you've i gotta, gotta get, get the arm straight <laughs> yeah because his arm was yeah his arm was cut off in the middle of side one and but anyway th- th- my point is is that there's just parts of the story that are just so outlandish and so silly i don't know if they are really supporting a more in-depth or deeper meaning it's well there's there's a there's a vampire in it so there's a there's a bad guy (laughs) called fat man there's a a character just called fat man that's his name before i because we will definitely talk about the villains there is something that i i actually agree with liam uh completely if i'm being if i'm being honest and i the comparison i want to make is between kojima and someone like david lynch Right, you know, Twin Peaks is undoubtedly my favorite, like f- favorite anything of all time. Right, and <laughs> you you go and watch the. It's, it's, it's my Mark and Mindy. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, my. I don't know. You know what? I, I, I don't even know how to fucking follow that up, man. My apologies. My apologies. Yeah, um, you made a good point. Go ahead. And I think the most. Like the masterpiece of Lynch's work, in my opinion, is actually the pilot of Twin Peaks. And in that pilot, everything is done on purpose, right? And there is these two things that I'd point out um, that seem completely weird to the audience and are just like, oh, did he? That's just like zany. So they probably just like left it in, or that just like doesn't make any sense. But Knowing someone like Lynch, who is an artiste and an auteur, you know it's on purpose. And one of them is at the very beginning when one of the characters comes, his first words in the entire show are, there is a fish in the percolator. And it's zero, zero context. It's his his first, I, I believe it's his first piece of dialogue in the entire show. And it's never even touched upon again. And then like the se- the second shot that happens it's like one of the first scenes in the, the high school when the police come in and there is a child who does a wave dance across the hall facing the camera. There is no way that that wasn't done on purpose. You know what I mean? Directed by someone like David Lynch. And I think the same with Kojima and Metal Gear Solid 2 that everything is there on purpose. But mind you, they have to take into consideration certain things that maybe had to change in something like video game development because it was very much around the time of 9-11, right? So we know yep. some visuals need to be changed. I know that there were certain bad guys that they had to they had to take out. There there was a whole cutscene. Um, at, at the end of that game, you find a big Metal Gear called Arsenal Gear. There was a whole cutscene where it crashed into New York that had to be completely scrapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they because of 9-11. Seems... 9-11 happened during production. So yeah, to my point, like... To my point, Marcy, is I, I agree with Liam, but I also kind of, to a certain degree, agree, agree with you, is that, like, what do I want from that 
that kind of medium, right? It's part of like why I love Twin Peaks is because the medium of television, I'm kind of okay with having something that's so obscure and something that I can dive into. And that's a bit uh, meaty in terms of, you know, what does this representation really mean? In video games, actually, you know, Metal Gear Solid 2 is probably the one that's closest to that of like, what does this actually mean? But do I want that? And is it what I want out of a video game, which is much more active than passive? And that's kind of where I think Metal Gear Solid 2 for me doesn't actually, apart from some cumbersome fucking controls, is I I found that form of storytelling in a game was just a bit cumbersome. And I wanted it to get straight more, more straight to the point, which was there. And that's the thing. But it was all intentional. Well, there's a, there's a kind of a soundbite that I like, um, you know, it's one of those things of talking about creating art uh, and selling it to people is just like to not give people what they want, it's to give people what they don't know they want. And I don't think anyone wanted this out of a Metal Gear Solid sequel. Like no one wanted, definitely not back in 2001. But God, I love that Kojima made it and that he just, he took such a brazen approach that it's like, like I said, he could have done anything. I like, you know, when filmmakers make it big and like, you know, when uh, Jordan Peele got really big after making um, Get Out, Mm -hmm. I always loved the thing they make after that. And then he made Us after that, which is way weirder. Like uh, Bong Joon-ho was a director for hire uh, in South Korea. They wanted him to make a serial killer drama called um, Memories of Murder. And he did. And it's a masterpiece, whatever. But because that was so big, he was like, he goes, hey, you can make anything you want next. And he was like, a giant salamander movie, please. <laughs> that's how, that's also, how I... F- also yeah. very good. Yeah, also that's, awesome, that's yeah. how I feel about it. That's how I feel That's about Metal Gear Solid 2. And that's why I love Kojima for it, that he could have done anything he wanted and he chose to do this. It's the least safe sequel ever. And... It was the big release of 2001. Like it's like imagine if a Call of Duty game came out and it was this weird con- deconstruction of the previous Call of Duty, and it was all about, it was all about player agency, and it was just so unsafe. And I love that it exists. I love that it was made, and I forgive it all its faults. Um, and I'm not talking about gameplay for the moment. I'm talking about how kind of um, what would be the word kind of cumbersome. The game itself is constructed. How kind of uh, um, how many cutscenes there are, how long cutscenes are. It's kind of Frankenstein's monster of a game how it's put together. But I forgive all of it because it's for a big release. It's so strange. It's so charismatic and it's so its own thing. And I kind of like it more now than I did even back in the day. I'm just so happy to do this because we don't get weird enough games, uh, big mainstream games anymore. We get. I'm not shitting on mainstream games. We get so many class triple uh, A titles these days. I, I I think, but I. I want to see people take risks like this. And that's why, that's why I love it. And that's the thing. I think I'm less forgiving, you know, as in it's funny, right? Because I think Metal Gear Solid two is probably the one that I've played the least of. And I've like going back to it, you know, I genuinely just, I found it a bit of a, a bit of a struggle. And I would say that I could probably appreciate it more as a, an art form now. But I really just did find it a bit of a struggle. Well, let's uh, let's let's stop, stop stop trying to make sense of Kojima's um, <laughs> Kojima's mental story for a second, and let's just um, talk about you know as as a game. This was um, a huge step up graphically. Uh, we've talked um, in previous I can't remember which episode we did, we we went on about breaking watermelons because <laughs> that's something you can do. Yeah, yeah. there's so many graphical upgrades to this game. It was sort of um, it was sort of huge at the time how you could like shoot bottles off. Um, 
shoot bottles off shelves and stuff like that. But like, I'll go to you first, Marcy. Um, in 2021, how do you feel like this game plays? Because it was a huge improvement over Metal Gear Solid 1, but now it's 20 years old. How do you think it is now? Yeah, um, and I think uh, me and Owen might disagree here because uh, I think I kind of know his thoughts a little bit already, but um, I was really pleasantly surprised, mm. um, like very much so. Um, so uh, a week ago, I picked up Twin Snakes um, on the GameCube. Um, I played through quite a lot of that. Um, you found it, it didn't you? you I found did. It. Well, I did. Well, yeah. I weirdly just came across it, uh, like in, in someone selling it locally for like a very cheap, a very cheap price. Um, nice. They obviously, I didn't tell them. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've, I mean, I, I was really pleasantly surprised. I actually really enjoyed um, playing Metal Gear Two. Um, I feel that uh, for a game that's twenty years old, most of the game mechanics have actually aged pretty well. Um, I know we've talked before in this podcast, and I've complained as well. Regards to older games and, and and you know cameras being an issue, um, I had no problems with Metal Gear Two at all. Um, you know some of the parts that yeah, like I'll, I'll admit I played on PC. You know I played a port um, where you know I didn't have pressure sensitive triggers and things like that. That was a bit tricky. Um, but man, from from almost top to bottom, I loved how to play it. Um, mm. Again, but again, I am speaking probably with a huge tinge of nostalgia, kind of maybe blinding me a little bit. Um, but no, I thought from from a gameplay point of view, it, it was just like a duck to water. I, I, I found it kind of effortless, which is, I, just, I don't think, yeah. Just off the top of my head, like the things that they added that weren't in the previous one. You could aim your guns now. Yeah, first person, uh, which is huge. You could, yeah. you could um, there was a whole system for when you got caught now. So like, um, you know, uh, you had to sneak around, but uh, after you after you evaded the enemies, it wasn't just back to everything's fine. There was a kind of a whole system, like evasion and teams could come in and sweep. And the, the story is so kind of clear in my head. Uh, I don't. I didn't have to replay this game for the podcast, but um, as someone who hasn't played the game in a few years, like how was the enemy AI and how how was the actual sneaking and getting caught and on all that aspect of it? How did you find it all? I thought that was still actually the most impressive thing. To be completely honest, there was things like I completely forgotten about the introduction of the picture on picture, uh, which was when you're hiding and you're in alert mode that at the top mm. r- right-hand side of your screen in, in your alert and map area, that you could see how they are searching for you. And that was class because yeah. you could you could learn the patterns of how those guards would search, you know, whether or not they'd come in in like twos or threes and then how they would check lockers, etc. Like that was mind-blowing. And I was still actually really, really impressed um, with that this time around. Th- that's such a great point. Th- that's what I why I love this game so much because it's, there's so many small details that they put so much effort into, like shadows, for example. Um, the fact that you, you, know, you can see around corners, you can see you know the enemy shadow. I think there's like one scene where you're coming up and like Vulcan Raven is there, but it turns out to be a small toy figure, which is a completely normal thing uh, to happen in this game. Um, <laughs> Ra- and, Raven, and then, Raven, yeah, so, so odd. Yeah, but Marcy, um, Raven, you know you're... what was amazing about that? The is that they didn't tell you th- that that here's a gameplay mechanic and it gives you text mm. and it says they will search for your shadow around the corner no there's yeah. two there's two instances within like you know five minutes on the tanker and one of them is it, it just points the camera towards the ground and then the other one is as you said it, it was raven and it the game just tells you without needing yeah. to actually tell you you know what i mean it, it does a great job of that. Like even when you, if you're when you're outside in the tanker for too long, if you're actually out in the the, the top side of the ship, um, and you come back inside, you start sneezing. 
which gives away your position to different enemies and stuff. I, I love that type of stuff. And it's, it's actually the, the kind of finer details now that we either maybe take for granted or you don't see kind of uh, newer things like that coming along with new games. Well, you fast forward um, years later and you have Metal Gear Solid Five. I think uh, from a gameplay perspective, it's the greatest um, stealth game ever made and it's just so, so impressive. But I remember Metal Gear Solid 2, you're, it's very tight. You're in corridors, you're in, you know, but you're in, a, you know, tight areas. But I remember that game just being, like, if you didn't want to play the, the story for a while, that game was fun to play in. Yeah. That game was fun to, like, just kind of sneak around and fuck with guards and stuff like that. There was a great sense of um, play to it and the amount of options you could do were like much larger than you think, you know, and you could, you could drop um, porn magazines on the ground and <laughs> distract guards. That was, that was the thing you could do. Yeah. Uh, I, I do remember um, the sense like it's just, all Kojima games. always have that weird kind of thing where they're the most self-serious things ever, but they're also the goofiest fucking games you'll ever play. I have a lot of fond memories of playing Sons of Liberty and not for, not only just for story, but just messing around with it. You know? Yeah, like like shooting like uh, a guard's radio, and then you know, yeah, then you're revealing yourself and see him try to call you know back yeah. when he can. It's gonna, I completely or, forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, and like, I'm sure we've all done this because we're all pretty sadistic. Uh, you know, you can shoot them in the leg and the hand, um, and the pen. They yeah, yeah, the penis as well. Yeah, didn't think I'd say that word in the podcast today, um, <laughs> but uh, you can see them kind of hop around and just kind of react to it, which is man, in 2001, that was like that was just absolutely mind blowing. It really, really was. I like one of my. I detest Emma Emmerich, and I don't oh, know what yeah. you guys did, but I got to the point. I was just, what happens if you just, you know, CQC? And I just for five minutes just, you know, just just to just to add context to the thing I want to say. He's literally saying that he choked out the teenage girl character that it is in Metal Gear Solid Two. Because that's the sort of man he is. Hey, look, listen, listeners, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I actually think uh, that's interesting you bring up one because uh, someone who's played it recently, that's one of the most infamous and disliked portions of the game. It becomes, um, what's the word for that mechanic? Uh, uh, es- an escort mission, yeah. let's say, mm-hmm. as in when you're lumbered with an AI character you have to take care of. And she's one of the most famously bad ones. Oh, Did you find so that annoying, again? She's afraid of it. Bu- she's afraid of bugs. And water. And water. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a plot point, though. I like that, though. Yeah, You like that plot it's- point? Yeah, if, man, what, what did I want when I was 11 years old in my Metal Gear Solid game? I wanted an entire B-plot where you learned that um, Otacon, Snake's sidekick, was having an affair with his stepmother. And because he was riding her, he almost let his stepsister die in a pool, and now she's afraid of water, and you have to help her through uh, overcome it. Thanks, God. Kojima. <laughs> he's, a ge- he's a genius. He is a genius. For the non-video game fans out there. Yeah. <laughs> Any other parts, Sam? Because I'm just trying to think. Um, I remember loving... There's an early part of the game which is all based around... Um, actually, sorry, let me digress for a second. I love the big shell, which is the the place where the mo- most of the game is set. It's a, it's an oil cleanup facility. It's um, it's actually not. It's a giant Metal Gear, but whatever. <laughs> but... Um, um, and it's it's based around kind of um, hexagons, right? There's different struts. I loved um, the early part of that game where you have to go around to each section of the place and you're disarming bombs. Has that aged well, guys? Um, yeah, I guess it has. <laughs> it's aged okay. Uh, I do. I, I, what I loved about it was that Metal Gear Solid Two is a great job of kind of introducing a lot of temporary mechanics, or just like a bit of fun. Um, but it's kind of that whole part of the game is a little bit. Uh, blurred for me because there's just so many cutscenes 
and it gets really, really codec heavy before that piece, which I, it's great because it's wacky, it's fun. Um, but I think before that, there's a huge part of the game where there's no gameplay at all. And it's like, you got to defuse these bombs. It's really exciting. But really all you're doing is just freezing them with this kind of antifreeze thing. I think you're finding I, them as well. They're all hidden in weird places. Yeah. No? Oh, maybe that's rose tinted glasses. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was fine. I agree with Marcy that it's like, I think Metal Gear Solid 2, you know, compared to maybe the other ones, it introduces very timely game mechanics that just aren't used ever again. And the, oh, yeah, you know, point. the freeze is, is one of those, right? You know, it's you do it for disarming those bombs and you do it for the fat man boss and then that's it. But I think what it oh, does... Objection. You put out you put out fires with it at one point. Oh, Jesus. Do okay, you? apologies. You do. And... Oh, yeah, no worries, no worries, man. Don't worry, we're all friends. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do enjoy about that is it it kind of forces you to play those segments as a bit of a like a sandbox and you kind of get to learn that environment inside and out. And that's something that I that I actually do appreciate about uh, the Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2 in particular before it started, you know, going bigger is you know it really makes those those environments feel lived in. And um yeah, you got to as I said, right? You get to know them in and out and then you know when you're detected it's uh it adds obviously that level of tension but you start to learn all the hiding spots you start to learn where level five key cards are going to be used later in the game and you're like oh shit i can't get in now but i will later and that's how you end up learning all of these secret locations so whilst it is you know a bit cumbersome these days because liam it doesn't and it's you know of the time where those locations don't change you know it's like when you know them although they do for the boss fight yeah they do for the fat man boss fight but it would have been cool if, you know, later down the line they were able to switch it up. But on replay, it's like, you know where they are, so you're able to speed through it, right? Speaking of uh, Fat Man, one of my favorite things about Metal Gear games, uh, obviously the characters, but specifically each game um, pits you against a team of bad guys. And I actually think in the, when we did Metal Gear Solid 1 in Episode 1, and we were cutting our teeth on this um this exciting venture. And um, we didn't even talk about the bad guys in Metal Gear Solid 1, did they? Did we? Or not we much. Did, no. And Metal Gear Solid 1 has the best team of bad guys. One one guy's a shaman. But um <laughs> what did you think of the characters and the villains of Metal Gear Solid 2? Why do you have any uh, opinions on them now as an adult? Somebody's <laughs> 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 a vampire. <laughs> I'm gonna say something a, a bit mad, and I'm gonna get a lot of flack. They're not the best. Uh, I think I actually love them. I actually think please don't kick me off the podcast. I think they're actually better than the bad guys in Metal Gear 1. Damn, man. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say, let's not talk about Fat Man that much. I um, like Fat Man's my favorite. Oh, he's <laughs> not. I actually really liked Vamp. I know it sounds really silly, but when, yeah, I, when, I, when, I, when I was young, when I was younger, I thought he was so cool. I thought it was this incredible this guy who just seemed indestructible, uh, voiced by Phil Lamar, which is, he does a really amazing job uh, bringing it to life. Um, some of the other characters, like Fortune, isn't great who I think is like the daughter of the general from the tanker at the start as well. She is uh, which is why, but okay, fair enough. Um, and then Solidus is grand. Um, but I, 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 <laughs> you don't I, sound I, like I, you love the Mars. I, I'm just going to talk myself into maybe, maybe not, not really <laughs> believing this. Um, but I know I do. I, I, I love Vamp and it's actually my favorite turn of Revolver Oslix. He's one of my favorite characters in the video game ever. Um, I think he, he's so good in this. I think, I think he's fantastic. Uh, we, Metal Gear Solid 1 ends in the most amazing twist ending of all time, uh, where the credits finish. 
Uh, so and Snake is Snake finds out in that game that he's a clone of the bad guy. Solid and Liquid Snake are actually clones. He's not and then the credit, yeah, and the credits end, and it's Ocelot on the phone, and he's like, "Yes, no one knows that you're the third brother. Yes, goodbye, Mister President." Yeah, <laughs> <Which is laughs> the silliest plot twist ever. But I like that he followed through, where the main bad guy of Metal Gear Solid Two is the ex president of the United States, because this game is called Sons of Liberty for a reason. This game's all about fucking America. Yeah, it's really weird. Like, well, he's um, obsessed. We've already talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is I was about to say, Kojima is like obsessed with American pop culture and American general. Um, um, and this, but this is his America the video game. I thought, I thought Liam that it was the biggest missed opportunity, and I thought that these characters had potential to really, you know, they had decent backstories that weren't explained. Plus, they had really terrible moment-by-moment um, moment times in the game, right? And by, and by that, like, for Fortune, I thought was super interesting um, from the from the get-go. But then your moment-to-moment -moment gameplay where you're fighting her or fucking not fighting her. Yeah. yeah thank you, that's support. Solid Snake. I've got this well, right, and you go ahead. Yeah, like, yeah. Are you serious? Like, are you well, not the whole thing is, the whole thing is a huge set piece, yeah. Yeah, the whole thing about Fortune is that she's immortal, right? That's her power. But she she's really emo about it. She really wants to die. Yeah, and 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 that's interesting. Um, but it's things like I, I think in Metal Gear Solid One, the moments stand out for a couple of reasons. One is each kind of utilized an environment that gave personality to that boss fight, as well as the actual big personality of the villains. But for Metal Gear Solid 2, it was kind of number by numbers. Like, I'm still on Big Shell or the Shell, and I'm fighting, you know, a Harrier plane on this, you know, entry between Shell A and C, which I've been to a thousand times. The yeah, okay, fighting yeah. fortune, you know, you're doing it in a basement that during that fight, you're hiding, you know, and I, I felt like it was a massive missed opportunity where we could have had, you know, I think it's, I think there is less Dead Cell than there is. Um, what are Foxhound? Not Foxhound. Um, Fox. Yeah, Foxhound in the first one. Foxhound in the first one. Yeah, Dead Cell in this one. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like Fair, a, yeah. a missed opportunity, except for Fat Man. I genuinely loved Fat Man. I I thought Fat Man oh, actually had man. a good arc. I think he has. I'm going to be late to the party. <laughs> no, yes. Oh God, he has a great. Like I love the boss fight. I th I think his character is ludicrous. I just think it's so silly. Um, <laughs> but man, Vamp, I don't know. I think I I love Vamp. I think Vamp is is one of the best uh, Metal Gear uh, villains. Uh, yeah, I think he come, did he come uh, back? Yeah, he's in four. Yeah, he's in four. He's in four. Isn't he? Yeah, 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 I think one of the missed opportunities that I'm talking about is Vamp and uh, Raiden. And mm. they're so in Metal Gear Solid Four, Raiden kind of has his redemption story where he's a fucking badass ninja that everyone fell in yeah. love with. And <laughs> yeah. you know, it was almost like a personal mission between him and Vamp, which you know, I I I I'd be the first to say it's like was that exactly earned, except for your small interactions with him in Metal Gear Solid Two. I thought there could have been more of uh, more builds there. Mm. I think Metal Gear Solid 4 um, has the messiest story in the franchise, and that's saying a lot. And I think one of the main reasons it has one of the messiest stories is because it's a direct sequel to Metal Gear Solid 2. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 is a prequel, so 4 is the direct sequel to 2, because 2, two 
it's almost like he was more interested in writing the meta narrative of the game about all that stuff we talked about about mm-hmm. you know uh, more so than the story itself so by the time he had to make a sequel to it it was like all these nonsense plot points had to be picked up from it you know because i think um there's just to talk about four for a second it didn't really have the, the, the theming for me because metal gear solid one kind of has a theme where it's a uh, it's kind of about your your genetic destiny and your genetic legacy and it's about your genes while metal gear solid 2 kind of has this idea of um what you leave be- behind beyond your genes, right? It's kind of, you know, why you, why you, things that you learn, the things that you love, and how you pass on to people that you love and stuff like that. That's one of the 50 things that game is about. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like I said, um, I, I just think, I think I had this thought the last time I played Metal Gear Solid 2 a few years ago, where I was just like, this game is much more interested in being this deconstruction of video games, deconstruction of its own franchise of its previous game than it is being a narrative itself. I think that's why some of the characters suffer from it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. uh, but again like uh, when we talk about uh, characters in kojima like he's uh, he's ludicrous he's a ludicrous man so all these characters are going to be absolutely batshit mad um like do, do you actually think he's good at creating good characters if you look over like the entire metal gear series yeah. i'd argue there's fewer gray characters than there are characters that are just so fucking ridiculous well, the main uh, characters are all good, right? Snake, um, Otacon, um, Ocelot, they're all great. Uh, they have good arcs through the series. I just think he he loves a bit of fun. Like, he loves the fun of video games. So he wants to come up with fun, very comic booky characters to, to fight. And I, I like to think he, he might come up with them from a gameplay point of view first. I don't know yeah. that for sure, though. I don't know that for sure, though. Um, I just have a feeling he wanted to have a vampire in this one before, <laughs> before he came up. Any, that, that, that's any. my argument. My argument is that the characters aren't, like because of what he does with story a lot of the time you expect a lot from his characters um when i think you shouldn't particularly if you played if man some of the the villains in guns of patriots in the fourth game are just insane it, yeah, one the a, yeah by far um one is an angel i think i can just fly around I, anyway um she's kind, of a, she's kind of a bird i think i i, that's I, the I one have in the least memories yeah, which is a, which is good, a, a good great battle, actually. Yeah, it's a really good boss battle, yeah. But I just, my point is saying, I, I think we we expect too much from his characters. Um, three, Marcy, and I think we'll do an episode on three someday. Mm-hmm. Three has amazing characters. Some of his best writing, um, uh, Big Boss, obviously the other snake, uh, the boss. <laughs> I'm listing out the characters and all of very similar names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, yeah, are they good characters in terms of, like, well-written? Maybe not sometimes. Are they incredibly fun, memorable characters? Yes. Like, yes. 100%. Yeah. It's one of those things as well, though. It's like, as a director of a video game, this is something where if you're orchestrating your voice actors to, to play the game, I what I do, in, uh, like, enjoy about Kojima is that it goes from the totally, totally serious to fucking Liquid Ocelot, you know, jumping into Arsenal Ray and just being like, my brothers! You know, it's, it's, it's so over the top. You know what I mean? And you're speaking, speaking of the bad guys, bad guys of Metal Gear Solid 2, I love... So Metal Gear Solid 1 had Metal Gear Rex. It was a big dinosaur robot. Metal Gear Solid 2 had Metal Gear Ray. I love the design of Metal Gear Ray. It's the coolest fucking thing. I it used to have a cool. figure of it. I don't know where it's gone. I must, have lost, I must have lost it. It's the most anime thing ever. And I love even the sound design for it. It makes animal noise. It sounds like a kind of a... I don't know a bird <laughs> i don't know um it has a laser and it, oh yeah, that's a cool that's a really really cool design there was a yeah there was 20 of them on like attached to metal gear Ar- arsenal wasn't it 
Uh, Arsenal gear as Arsenal well. Gear, that's the yeah. kind of that's the kind of, that's the kind of twist at the end of Metal Gear Two where you find out that you're playing on a giant Metal Gear, and I feel like it really took the limelight out of Metal Gear. I, uh, which is, <laughs> there's a Metal Gear here. Yes, the station is Metal Gear. Oh, it's fucking stupid. Yeah, that's Huge. basically it. That's basically it. <laughs> you are right though, Liam. Uh, my favorite scene of rep- like when I was replaying it was when Solidus gets blown out of the Harrier and re- one of the rays who's being piloted by Vamp, I think, comes up and mm-hmm. catches him. Yeah. Unreal. It, Unreal. It's the new type of Metal Gear. It's already active. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but Raiden didn't know that when people were talking about the new type of Metal Gear, they weren't talking about Ray, they were talking about the gigantic one under the ocean. <laughs> 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 oh, I really want to play it again though. I really no, but I I enjoy the sillier side to Metal Gear. You know what I mean? Me like, too. That's I what really makes do. it. That's Absolutely. what makes it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Liam, before we move on to your quotes, there's there is one moment <laughs> that I do actually want to touch upon. You know, I, I said I love the over-the-top moments in, in Metal Gear. And one of those for me is actually in 4, which is the proposal scene. I fucking love that. It's so You goddamn. always bring up the proposal I scene. Love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> I don't know. Tell, what... tell, tell, tell our viewers what the proposal scene in Metal Gear Solid 4 is. I actually don't remember. No, I do remember it. It's Meryl and Abika. Avri... What's his name? Akiba. Johnny, Johnny Akiba. Johnny, yeah. Johnny Akiba, yeah. The guy, the guy who has diarrhea for the first... Yeah, go on. He's the recurring character in Metal Gear Solid who has diarrhea. He gets to marry the main female protagonist. He's the so. one through character. Um, <laughs> and essentially they're being attacked by all of these militants. And during that scene, the two of them running out of ammo, killing all these people, uh, you know, he decides to propose, which is absolutely so stupid but it's so it's so needlessly epic and i remember i yeah i remember i don't i actually don't know which came first uh pirates of the caribbean on stranger tides which is the third one i think or i could be mistaken about that one no one in the world can remember yeah (laughs) (laughs) pirates of the caribbean with chow young fat and there was an exact same scene where uh orlando bloom's william turner character proposes to cure knightley and it might have been the same year or something. And I just remember that like, you riffed this for Metal Gear. But one of uh, maybe one of my second favorite moments, apart from that, is the scene between Solid and Otacon after, after Emma's death. Yeah, I was about to bring it up, man. I swear it is the silliest thing ever. But I, <laughs> I, I have no hint of irony when I say this. I love it. It is. It is so sincere. It is so fucking cheesy and so cool. What happens in it on? It's essentially the most elongated high five you've ever seen in your life. Slapping the shit out of each other. Like it's Otacon's sister. Otacon's sister has just died. There's, hostage, there's hostages. There's hostages that just need they need to be rescued from the facility. Otacon is still holding his dead sister's parrot. Right? All the elements. <laughs> All the elements are in place. <laughs> right? And um, he's crying because his sister is dead. And Snake is like, Otacon, snap out of it. We need to, like, you know, I got to go do my thing. And you're the only one who can fly the, the type of helicopter. So you need to rescue the hostages. He's like, and then he's like, he kind of quiets down. He's like, Otacon, I know you can do this. And Otacon's like, leave it to me. And the main theme kicks on, kicks in, a kind of a somber version of it. And they do, they must have practiced it. They do. They do this fucking high five. They slap each other like five times and then they hug each other. And I don't I just think we, we didn't see positive male friendships in video games more. And 
I remember one night, um, I came back after a night out. This is about five years ago, and I was still drunk. And I put it on, and I fucking cried. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, after sure after you finish this um, episode of Hey, look, listen, YouTube Snake Otacon Handshake, oh, and then you will know unreal. what true friendship really means. You won't be disappointed. She deserved to die. Will I, uh... <laughs> I? I don't know. I find that bit very. I actually find that bit very affecting. Uh, like like I like I said like you said sorry she was very annoying gameplay wise but um look I I, I don't want to ring on about you wouldn't expect the ca- forever yeah. right <laughs> you've played seven hours as Raiden so far right you've you fought an immortal you've fought a vampire right you literally actually just fought a vampire in a pool where you were shooting fucking rockets inside and she <laughs> won't cross over a line of bugs you know what I mean like yeah. as in. They're scary. <laughs> I were, uh, scary. But you don't expect a character like that to die in a video game, especially in such a brutal, unheroic way. She just gets mm. stabbed in the back and kind of dies slowly. Yeah. And she gets to do a big speech telling, you know, Otacon that, you know... I don't know, I can't remember what he tells her. I, I, I remember what he doesn't tell her, that he was riding her mom while she was drowning in a pool. <laughs> That's, like, told to us through the game to um, voiceover afterwards and it's just kind of like Kojima you know let's move it on let's get back to the robots you know Liam what but, did um, you yeah it's all coming back to me now all the ridiculousness <laughs> how did you feel about the twist of Raiden's parentage yeah yeah it's another thing to go back to what we're talking about like that Raiden is um we haven't even talked the fact that like you know we're adults now and we can all relate to it now but um yeah, your girlfriend rings you up all the time in Metal Gear Solid 2 to talk to you. One of the worst <laughs> romantic storylines in any video game ever. They're called keeps... Jack, Jack and Rose. Is what yes. Like yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a reference to um, Avatar, James Cameron's Avatar. <laughs> um, but um, that's another thing about Raiden as a character is that like you have the analyst who's helping you through the game is also your girlfriend. Whoa. And she keeps asking what day it is. Do you remember what day it is tomorrow, Jack? And it's like, yeah, like you would never get that in a movie because that would make no sense that he'd be in a top secret sneaking around mission and he'd have his girlfriend ringing him up. But um, <laughs> I really like it only because the whole idea is that the only thing we know of Raiden outside of this mission is that like he was trained in VR and that he has a girlfriend called Rose. But as you go on, you find out that he was a child soldier and that he kind of... Uh, he actually mentions that he lives in an apartment and there's no um, there's no furniture and stuff like that. And uh, you find out that he was kind of, his adoptive father was the main villain of the game. That's correct, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's kind of, yeah, his benefactor was. And I think it's it's, it's to kind of do the thing where Raiden really doesn't have anything. Um, he's like no one. Uh, it's kind of, again, taking away his agency, taking away his identity. He's just kind of and 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 but then as the game goes on, you start finding out the details about him, and he does have a past, and he is a person. You very early in that game, you um, you have to fill in a thing. You 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 uh, you um get to a terminal, and then it asks you to put in your name and your date of birth and your blood type and all that. And the reason you could do that if if you put in your own name, at the end of the game, Raiden has a dog tag, and it has if you put in Jonathan Marcy, um, it says Jonathan Marcy on it, right? Mm. And Raiden looks at it, and Snake goes, who is that? And he goes, no one I know, and he throws it away. And I think that's a metaphor for you, the player, are no longer Raiden. He's, he's not chained to you anymore. He's now his own person. But that was his entire his- arc as well. Through that, that entire yeah. game, it's like, you know, you can now go and set your own destiny. 
Yes. Except that She's Rose really was cool. actually pregnant. <laughs> well, she was. Go on, and, and the problem is you have to listen to all their codec conversations, which are absolutely awful. Do you remember the Japanese tourists in New York, Jack? Yeah, they wanted to know what building King Kong was on. The, all that, yeah. And, yeah. and Ryden's probably hiding fucking in a box with enemy soldiers. <laughs> with, with fucking, yeah. with AK-47s. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm hitting hour four of fucking cutscenes when I play the game. <laughs> uh, look, you wouldn't change it though, would you? Absolutely not. It's one of the best games I've ever uh, one, thing, one thing before I wrap up as well is there's... Um, imagine if you were um, a programmer and uh, from Metal Gear Solid 2 and Kojima comes up to you and he's like, look, I have a mission for you. I need you to make the bird shit and I need Raiden to fall on the shit if he steps on it. <laughs> well, he gets pissed it's on the head deep. if you want. Oh, yeah. that's right. He gets <laughs> pissed on the head. It's one of the and most so many things. But that's what, those fire details are great. Though. Like, you step, yeah, yeah. You step on the bugs; they squash. Like, I it just adds to it, man. It's great. I mean, there's so many things we didn't talk about. You get a pacemaker. No, you don't get a pacemaker. You get a directional microphone, and there's a bit where you're in a room for the hostages, and you have to find the one with pacemakers. Like, I just think there's there's so many good ideas in it. It's so memorable, you know, from from it, top to bottom. It's incredibly varied, and again, it goes back to when I was talking about those kind of temporary game mechanics. Mm. I I love them. I think they're great. Like for the most part, they they just add a lot of variety to the to to the game in a big way. Will I um? Do you want the top ten quotes from Elgar Solid Two? Yeah, you have to do, vo- do the voices though. I'm not going to do the voices, but I'll try to I'll try to capture the spirit. Okay. Number one is a cheat. Oh, sorry, no. Number ten is a cheat. It's uh, we're not tools of the government or anyone else. Fighting was the only thing I was good at, but at least I always fought for what I believed in. That is Snake quoting someone from Elgar Solid One. He's quoting Gray Fox, so I thought I'd put it in because you know bridges to do games together. He's telling that to Ryden. He's passing it on. Sums up the team of um, you know things you pass on right that's that's something number nine <laughs> okay number nine um vamp the vampire man who sounds kind of like a cool vampire um he after he kills people he carves lines into his chest and he goes five today or rather six because he sees writing he's like i'm gonna kill another man today <laughs> that's really cool uh, i wish you could uh, see liam's uh, eyes uh, right now <laughs> liam looks sinister it's great that's really cool and that's the kind of line of dialogue a really cool badass line of dialogue you want to give to your vampire character what you don't want the lines of dialogue you don't want to give to your vampire character is number eight it's exposition i'm gonna try to do my vampire voice again Blah. This is no ordinary nuclear bomb. This weapon is capable of heavy hydrogen nuclear fusion using lasers and magnetics to generate heat insulated compression. It was a top secret project initiated by the current president. Ah. <laughs> Delivered uh, almost spot on. How fucking yeah, the exact same, oh, man. Yeah. oh my god. Is there is there any is there any two lines of dialogue to sum up the two sides of the coin to Kojima's writing? Then those two lines. Um number seven. Uh, our raw materials are vintage, brother. Big Boss was in his late 50s when they created his copies. But I, I live on through this arm. <laughs> that was um, previous villain Liquid Snake living on through an arm. <laughs> Do you know what? And um, you know what? I have to draw a fucking comparison between Ocelot, Liquid Ocelot, and Harry Potter, where it was just so fucking <laughs> coincidental that Harry's scar would burn whenever Voldemort was around, and it was pretty much the exact same in Metal Gear Solid. Oh yeah, his arm would like the throb. arm would start it's acting like up whenever arm. Solid was around. Yeah, yeah. why now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, like because if you never played the game before, you just walk in and it's kind of like, why is that cowboy um, yelling at his arm? <laughs> 
And, and to explain you to go, that's not his arm. It's uh, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> Shal- uh Number six. Who said they didn't like that man? You won't like this one. Uh, number six. Life is short. Bombs tell the time with every moment of their existence. And nothing else announces its own end with such a fanfare. I just like that line. That's a good no line. Jo- no jokes. Yeah. I just think that's, like, I think that's cool. good writing. Number five is very timely now. You know, we're all we're us Irish here. We're looking over at America, aren't we? And we're going like, oh, like, uh, gift of the silver tongue. They say it's the mark of a good officer and of a liar. Americans are too in love with the sound of their own voice to speak the truth. Take that, America. Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not the, Liam, that's not in the game. Oh, shit. No, <laughs> that's, weird. that's my diary. <laughs> Sorry, I opened the wrong file. <laughs> okay, number, number four. There's a terminal in front of the elevator, a node. Did you say nerd? Not nerd, node. Oh. <laughs> What's that like? <laughs> oh, that was but again, wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change it. Yeah. This is one for you, Marcy. I hope, I hope, you, get, um, hope you get triggered. Raiden, turn the console off now. That was just, you know, I wanted to have one of the mad things Colonel says to you at the end of the game. I'm off. I'm out. This next one on paper is a fine line. It's just that the way Quentin Flynn, Ryden's uh, voice actor, delivers it. And I'm going to tr- hopefully try to do it justice. Colonel, I've got Emma Emmerich here. We've managed to avoid drowning. <laughs> My, ah. Uh, <laughs> the Barrett Solo. Uh, He's so shit. He's such a shit spy. <laughs> She's not dead. Oh, well done. <laughs> Well done. He's so happy. That's what I like about it. Um, and number one, what I think is the coolest, best line in Metal Gear Solid 2, maybe the most Metal Gear line of all the Metal Gear lines. If you run out of ammo, you can have mine. You've got enough? Absolutely. Infinite ammo. And what is that reference to, guys? Do you know? The Snake? bandana? Yeah, Snake gets a bandana yeah, that it got, gives, gives you infinite... And he's still wearing it, and they put it into the... The actual story that Snake has a bandana that gives him infinite ammo. And that's a good place to end it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining us, everyone. I was really looking forward to that one. I like I love Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, I'm glad we all still kind of like it, even if, um, yeah, you know, even... You know, it is I can it appreciate is. elements games. of it even today. Yeah, I, like, as a kind of final thought, maybe I would like to see developers take more chances like with big budget games like Metal Gear Solid 2 I just don't think it's going to happen um, he kind of did with Death Stranding maybe I'll get to talk about Death Stranding well, in a later actually, episode Liam, before um, we wrap up d- genuinely a question that I wrote down that I did want to ask is Death Stranding is on my wish list and knowing Kojima what you know very quickly what DNA if any from something like a Metal Gear Solid 2 rings true um, Death Stranding it's I think it's his most comparable game to Metal Gear Solid 2, not in any literal reasons, but in the fact that it's incredibly weird. It, it it's not it's not safe. He makes no safe choices. It's very um, controversial, divisive. Some people people who like it tend to love it. People who hate it tend to loathe it. I think it's. I think there's 17 things I hate about that game, but the core game itself, I love and. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about it some other time. Maybe we'll get Death Stranding yeah, at perfect. some point. But um, there's a lot to say about it. But I think it's his most comparable to Metal Gear Solid 2 in terms of... Um, you know, I like that he released it because I was just saying there are more, more experimental games like Death Stranding, for better or for worse, for monster energy drink advertising is one of the strangest big budget games ever. And it didn't work for him this time. It didn't sell well. 
but I'm glad he made it. I'm like as much as I hate about 17 things in that game, I'm glad games like that. I'm glad Kojima's around, basically. Um, so this is um, this is it, guys. Thanks for joining us. I was uh, Liam Sheehan, um, joined by Jonathan Marcy and Owner Reardon. And thanks for helping us get to 10 episodes, and we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Nerd. Nerd.